And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Robert Malone. And Dr. Malone, it's a real honor to have you on with us today. Thanks a lot, Dan. It's great to be here. Just to recap, I'm a physician and scientist and have been involved in product development, regulatory affairs, and discovery research for about 30 years, often in infectious disease and biodefense. So that's my key background as it relates to today's discussion. And of course, I also publish, together with my wife, Dr. Joe Glassbull Malone, a substack called Who is Robert Malone that gets read by about 300,000 to 700,000 people a day and uh, have various you know, podcasts and videos, etc. over the last three years. And my objecting to the uh, ethics and uh, the failure of informed consent in particular, as well as the risks associated with these mRNA-based vaccines. Yes. Wow, that's it in a nutshell. Thank you for that. Um, I'm subscribed to your Substack, and it's very worthwhile. I would encourage our listeners to do that. And uh, just before we get started, Dr. Malone, how would people go about uh, getting a subscription to your Substack? Well, you don't have to pay, although we're grateful if you do. And you can find it at www.rwmalonemd.substack.com. And uh, you can elect either free or paid subscription. Uh, And we're just grateful to have people on board. What we do is restrict comments in the discussion section, Mm -hmm. people that pay, because that keeps the trollery down to a dull lore. (laughs) Well, it's smart. Uh, The other day you you put out a piece, and it really caught my eye. Um, This... This piece was about the invasion, I'm going to use that word, occurring on our southern border. And all kinds of people unvetted are coming across. And there's many concerns, but the one that you were commenting on pertains to infectious diseases and that sort of thing. So could you take it from there and explain what was on your heart? Well, we have information now that was just posted by a congressman that the International Red Cross has basically been facilitating this enormous flood of uh, immigrants coming from all over the world, but particularly from Latin and Central America up across the United States border. And then, as has been shown in recent news releases, those people are, are directed to discard any personal ID or records that they have Mm. so that they can more effectively claim refugee status. And then once they come across the border, they're processed rapidly without any physical examination or anything else. And then boarded onto planes. Remember, you know how hard it is to board a plane these days. Uh, You kind of almost have to give away your firstborn to make it on. (laughs) And uh, these folks, they don't have to have any ID or information, and then they're getting shipped all over the United States, and that's by intention. So we have an intentional distribution of, in terms of health, unvetted immigrants from Latin and Central America coming in and then being distributed across the United States. And so the question, you know, I can, I can always talk on on 
my opinion about this, that, or the other thing, but that that I have most uh, expertise and core competence in is infectious disease. So what's the meaning of this? Remember that we've just been through three years of what is really being shown to be a weaponized situation in which the hype and fear was way outstripping the actual risk. Uh, But here we have a a true infectious disease threat of folks that are coming across the border that may have pathogenic E. coli or salmonella, sexually transmitted diseases, and a variety of infectious diseases that can be present or latent in individuals, but be transmitted through a number of different mechanisms. And one of those, of course, is through mosquitoes. Mm. A lot of the Tropical diseases that uh, plague Central and Latin America, such as yellow fever, are require that you basically have an infected host that gets bitten by a mosquito, and then that mosquito bites another host. Ah. Not all mosquitoes can transmit a lot of these viruses, but there are two s- subspecies of what's called Aedes, A-E-D-E-S, mosquitoes. Aedes aegypti are the ones that have the tiger stripes that some of you may recognize that are throughout much of the United States and even up to the Canadian border. These are the mosquitoes that are capable of spreading a lot of these infectious diseases like dengue and yellow fever. Now, there's a a new thrust at the NIH to fund diseases associated with climate change. This is a major new initiative, and it's kind of looking for something to fit uh, the need. But uh, we have various investigators now that are starting to spin up hype, such as Peter Hotez, who suddenly has published four papers on the risk of yellow fever due to climate change uh, in the United States. And I suspect that Peter is setting himself up for the gravy train of grants and contracts with NIH for this. But the key point is they're fearing these infectious diseases that are associated with climate change for which there's very little supporting evidence, but completely disregarding the risk of this massive wave. Over the last year, the number is 3.2 million documented immigrants that have come across the border like this. And these folks are disease vectors. That's the unfortunate truth of it. Not all of them. Not everybody is is, uh, coming from uh, poor backgrounds, but many of them have been living out in the open as they've been marching up to the border and subject to uh, all kinds of mosquito and other mosquito vector diseases and many other diseases, and yet they're not being screened they're not being vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera. So that's that's the world we live in. And it really demonstrates the, I guess the gentlest way to say it, lack of integrity of the current administration when it is busy talking about threats that are really not very real. Yes. And completely disregarding other threats that are clear and present. Yeah, well put. As I've seen this, and everybody's seen the footage of these massive number of people coming over, sometimes, and many times, in fact, the footage shows 
military-age men um, walking in like they own the place. And um, I'm very concerned. I'm thinking, okay, uh, we've seen things like this before. And the camel gets his nose under the tent and havoc uh, results. I'm concerned. Um, But I never thought too much about this area that you're bringing up. So these are layered concerns. Not only do we have military-age men, as well as other ages and and women, but they're not being vetted for disease. I mean, what what kind of insanity is this? I guess guess the risk, um, why are they doing this exactly? Ha, that is the big, uh, you know, 3.2 3.2 million person question <laughs> is is uh, why is Mr. Biden's administration buying into the open borders policy? Now, it is absolutely a key feature of Agenda 2030 from the U.S. Yes. that uh, individuals have the right to immigrate and live wherever they want. But uh, many nation states, particularly in Europe, are really getting fed up with this because of the damage that's being done to native culture and the disruption of, as you point out, a lot of these military age, uh, relatively young males that have no particular skills coming in and then uh, being unemployed or unemployable and starting to prey on the native population in a number of different ways. And we don't really need to go down that road. It's rather ugly. Yes, it is. But, but that, that's happening. I and it's not just uh, Latin Americans. When I was last in Europe, I was surprised to learn that in Ireland, in Southern Ireland, many of the towns now have more Ukrainian residents as refugees than they have actual Irish. Mm. There seems to be an effort to import Ukrainian refugees into Ireland, and the thesis there among the dissidents is that this is an attempt to replace the indigenous population. Exactly. And historically, apparently, something similar happened in the north of Ireland, which gives rise to this split within the Irish island, uh, with the British importing basically Scottish, hmm. uh, that were more compliant with uh, the Britain British rule. Hmm into Northern Ireland, and that at least that's the perception and the storyline that's told by many Irish people. Mm-hmm. It's the whole split and the, diff- the troubles really all stem from uh, this subterfuge of the crown importing other peoples to dilute out uh, the rebellious natives. So yeah. what's going on here with Mr. Biden? I have many, I'll put it this way, I have a number of friends who have become convinced, people very deep in uh, analysis and intelligence, that have become convinced that Mr. Biden has, has in fact, for a long period of time, having, ha, been co-opted by the Chinese Communist Party, mm-hmm. and that he's functionally acting as an agent of the CCP in a lot of the behaviors and actions and policies that have been put in place in the administration. Now, I can't verify that. Uh, I don't have a first-person eye on that, and we haven't seen documentation. 
we've certainly seen plenty of documentation about various corrupt activities and funds transfer, mm-hmm. but uh, it's increasingly difficult to square the circle with Mr. Biden's policies uh, in a number of different fronts because they seem so counterproductive to the U.S. national interests. And there is a move now afoot here in 2024 specifically to impeach Mr. Mayorkas, uh, Homeland Security Secretary, who is responsible for, uh, you know, has line item responsibility Mm -hmm. for maintaining border integrity uh, and is also the person behind uh, much of this stuff uh, like declaring those who the government determines are spreading mis, dis, or malinformation and declaring them domestic terrorists. Yes. That came out of Homeland Security under Mayorkas's overview. So that's what I wouldn't mind seeing going. Uh, but uh, in terms of the bigger picture of that you ask is the fundamental question, what the heck is going on? Because it yeah. makes no sense at all. No. And um, I, I saw the other day a posting that was quoting our law, the United States law, regarding immigration and this is a breaking of the law. I mean, I'm stating the obvious. These people, yeah. you know, whether we like them or not, that has nothing to do with it. Whether they're nice people or ugly people, that's another issue. But they're breaking the law. They're lawbreakers. They are criminals coming in. And people might say, oh, you're not very Christian. Come on, lighten up, Elmendorf. But I, I would ask them, well, um, what's your neighborhood like? Do you lock your door at night, particularly maybe if you live in the city or close to a city where the crime is high? Let's say Newburgh, New York. Do you lock your door at night? Well, we have a door on the United States of America, and it's our border. If that border ceases to exist, we have lost our country. Then anything is fair game. Uh, That's how I see it, Dr. Malone. Well, I I concur. I think that the lawbreaking is undeniable. And even beyond that, uh, one of the key issues here is property rights. And you have folks that are coming across the border that have discarded any of their documentation. Yes. And they're, they're coming into this country and will be given uh, the privileges of our social safety net. And in a sense, what they're doing is uh, acquiring the right to reside in a territory that they have no birthright to, no legal right to, but those rights are being granted. They're rights of property. And when, when now that happens, that, you know, these, (laughs) The other day, Javier Millier, uh, the new prime minister of Argentina, forbade uh, any government communication that referenced free things. <laughs> uh, because he said, uh, everybody, someone has to pay for that. And usually it's paying, it's the government paying. And that means it's the taxpayers Correct. paying. So we're no longer going to allow anybody to say anything about free goodies. Uh to the public, that's that's forbidden in his new government. And likewise, here what we're doing is advertising free goodies. Yes. And uh, 
the way that those are being distributed is they're coming out of the pockets of you, me, and our children. Yes, and the the government, our government, correct me if I'm wrong, have made available uh, apps so that you can uh, negotiate um, the whole scenario of, of coming across the border illegally. Hey, here's an app. Here's how you do it. Well, that gets to my first point about the International Red Cross uh, setting up stations and actively facilitating this traffic and sending maps, making maps available, giving guidance about what to do, when to throw away your documentation, etc. Clearly, this is internationally coordinated and funded. And the, the, you know, unresolved uh, is who is driving this? Is it a a foreign nation state? Uh, is it a uh, some non-governmental organization? There seems to be multiple that are involved in this that are backed by uh, some entity that wishes to see this policy deployed or wishes to damage the United States' sovereignty and integrity. It's, it, you know, we, we really, it's amazing to me that uh, there isn't a commitment to getting to the bottom of what is driving this agenda. But clearly, yes. the, the UN Agenda 2030 is a key component of it, mm-hmm. which is basically a socialist manifesto. Correct. Um, we got into this discussion today, talking about um, the illegal aliens crossing our border in in terribly high rates, dangerous rates, rates that I consider to be an invasion, and it is intentional. That's my opinion. But... Um, there's diseases, and uh, you mentioned one that really caught my attention, and that is yellow fever. And you're an infectious disease expert. Describe yellow fever to our listeners. So yellow fever is another one of the hemorrhagic fevers, and it has a relatively high mortality rate. The UN is asserting that it, the mortality rate for yellow fever uh, unvaccinated is in the range of 30%. The Pan American Health Organization, PAHO, which is uh, the WHO arm in Latin America, it's semi-autonomous and they don't always get along very well. Uh, But PAHO is in a position to really understand what the mortality is for yellow fever in the context of of modern medicine, uh, because they see it all the time. It's endemic in Latin America. And that's why usually when you travel down to Brazil or certainly go into the Amazon or any of those other areas, you're advised that you should have a yellow fever vaccine. Mm -hmm. By the way, it's a nasty piece of work. It's a live attenuated vaccine. It it is quite inflammatory. You're getting a little yellow fever when you take the yellow fever vaccine. And I, I was told once when I was in Brazil supporting the vaccine project, that they have a problem with the natives, with the locals, when they do a yellow fever vaccine campaign, some of them will get back in line and get another jab, thinking that one is good, two is better. Oh, yeah. And that that can kill you. Um, so this is not an entirely benign uh, vaccine and uh, quite inflammatory. Uh, yellow fever is... Uh, relatively hard to treat. You have to have supportive care. There's no specific antivirals. And uh, as I said, PAHO estimates the current case fatality rate when uh, 
in the presence of modern medical care at about 8%. Now, just to calibrate that, the case fatality rate for COVID is about 0.02%. Oh, my. The worst case modeling scenario for COVID that was turned out to be false, but the one that was predicting that we would have people dying in the streets and and, uh, mass graves, that was (laughs) 3.2%. So 8% case fatality rate is huge. And the thesis is that uh, the uh, climate change or warming is going to make it so that we have more of this type of mosquito in the United States and that it ranges further north uh, than it would have. But in fact, there's a long history of yellow fever outbreaks along the East Coast corridor, uh, including Philadelphia, as I recall, that goes back to the 1600s. Oh, wow. So uh, this is nothing new. Uh, The fact that we have good sanitation and chlorinated water and these things that reduce uh, other routes of viral transmission seems to be helpful, Uh, and it's not present in many of these Latin American areas. But if you have somebody coming across the border with a subclinical or or partially recovered case of yellow yellow fever, they're bringing the virus virus with them. Mm -hmm. And so all they need then is to get... uh, bitten by one of these two mosquito species, one of these 80s species. I think it's Albopictus and Egypti. And uh, have that mosquito bite somebody else. Typically, a female mosquito will feed on multiple people hmm. uh, to support her eggs. And then that transmits the virus. That's how this goes. Mm-hmm. And so you have people that have been coming up uh, living outside, exposed to these mosquitoes, exposed to dem- dengue fever, exposed to yellow fever, and uh, coming up north, and they are potential vectors for uh, being bitten by mosquitoes and then having that transferred to third parties. Uh, so not a nice disease associated historically with massive death and outbreaks, Uh going back to the 1600s, because these mosquitoes were present in the 1600s. This is not a new global warming phenomenon. No. And uh, um, with a mortality rate, a case fatality rate, that is really enormous compared Mm. to this that we're used to encountering in our daily lives. Well, that's a very helpful summary. It's scary, and and it's very sobering. The uh, solution for this, um, state the obvious, Dr. Malone, what is the solution for this one? Well, the old policy that we had, which was that when people come across the border, they have to be health screened, they have to have physical examinations, and they have to have vaccine records and have been vaccinated. And the historic position has been that if you don't have your vaccine records when you hit the border, then you are stalled at the border and you have to take the vaccine series before you'll be granted entry into the United States, mm-hmm. whether or not you may assert that you've had it in the past. So that's that's been the historic case. And of course, there isn't a vaccine for salmonella or enteropathogenic E. coli. We're all familiar with, you know, the stereotype is the Tijuana trots. There, there are multiple... Uh, variants 
that are associated with rather nasty diarrhea problems. Mm. And there are no vaccines for those and no real screening. The only way you would pick that up is if somebody had active diarrhea on physical examination or admitted to it. And there's a variety of other parasites uh, that can cause diarrheal diseases. So it's, and then as I mentioned, it's also sexually transmitted diseases. Remember a lot yes. of, pretty much a large fraction of the females coming across the border that are of, uh, you know, young, quite young up to uh, a mature reproductive age have been raped. That's right. And uh, so that's a sexually transmitted disease risk also. Yeah, good point. We really have layers of infectious disease risk here that are much more significant than anything associated with, quote, climate change. Yeah. Well, I see uh, the clock has run out. Uh, Today our guest has been Dr. Robert Malone. And Dr. Malone, in the last 30 seconds, uh, reference for people to look you up online, please. Uh, please uh, don't hesitate to to reach us at the Malone Institute. So that's maloneinstitute.org. Uh, and of course, Substack, rwmalonemd.substack.com, or on all, you know, Truth Social, Gab, Getter, and X at rwmalonemd. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, thank you. It's an honor to have you on, and uh, we pray that God blesses your life, Dr. Malone, you and your wife, and the Malone Institute. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Smile.